Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is a story about a girl named Lucky. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I hope you are doing so well today. We've got one of my favorite kinds of episodes today. We are doing a book club episode. We're hanging out with our friend Morgan Cook of Mostly Eco Morgan, and we read a book that I was dying to read, and I'm so glad that hosting a book club episode allowed me to talk about this book in depth. We're reading Consumed by Aja Barber. If you are in the sustainable fashion space online, or if you're aware of some of the thought leaders in the space, you absolutely know Aja Barber. She is such a force and such a powerful, powerful voice in this space. And that's why it was so exciting when she announced her debut book, Consumed, because she has this really brilliant, holistic lens on the problems around the fashion crisis, especially as it intersects with social justice. Aja Barber is a writer and educator, originally from Virginia, currently living in London. And again, Consumed is her debut book. It is a thoughtful commentary on fashion, climate change, and social justice. The subtitle of the book, Consumed, is The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. And I feel like that says a lot just in that single line. This book truly covered so much at such a high level that I have never been exposed to before in this kind of eloquent way. Again, we're reading with our friend Morgan of Mostly Eco Morgan. Morgan is an expert in sustainability. She is a content creator. She is a big advocate of progress over perfection, which I really love about her. And if you're new to book club, let me fill you in a little bit. These are relatively unstructured episodes where we chat with a friend in the community. Typically, it is some sort of other online influencer, internet personality in the sustainability space, someone that I have become friends with via the internet, honestly. I like to joke that these episodes are a little bit selfish because it allows me to deeply connect and have conversations with my internet friends. But the cool thing about book club is that you don't have to read the book necessarily to enjoy the episode. We do a deep dive of some of the conversations. We read out some quotes that really resonated with us. And it's a pretty casual chat about things we learned. So typically, we read books around climate change, around sustainability. Last month, we read Let My People Go Surfing by Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard on sustainable business models. So we read a lot of different kinds of books here on Book Club. If you want to go back and listen, we've done between probably 12 and 15 of these episodes. Last year, we did book club every single month, and this year, we switched over to book club every other month. So if you're trying to read more, become more aware of some of the thought pieces in this space, book club is a really awesome intro, and you can always read along with us and then listen in on the episode afterwards. I haven't picked out next month's book yet, but I will share that on social as soon as I do, and I'll also share it on the next episode of the show. I always like to say, if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend, post it on your Instagram story, tag me at Podcast. All of my links are always in the show notes. But if you also want more of this kind of content, I actually had the pleasure of speaking with Aja Barber 
about two years ago. I mentioned it during our conversation today, but I just wanted to flag that I will link that episode in the show notes. We talk about a lot of similar themes that she shares in the book, but hearing it directly from her was a real honor and a real opportunity for me to learn more deeply about a lot of these really important topics. Frankly, we don't get to hear that much about or learn about, so it was a really cool conversation, and this is a really awesome book that I'm excited for y'all to read along or hear our thoughts on. Double check that you are subscribed to this show wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever else. Just make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. And you know what? While you're doing that, you might as well rate and review the show while you're listening. With that, let's jump right into today's book club conversation with Morgan Cook of Mostly Eco Morgan. This month, we read Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism by Aja Barber. Enjoy. Morgan, welcome to Eco Chic. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is so fun because I I love to say that book club selfishly just allows me to chat with my internet friends. And I feel like I've known you online for so long and I'm so glad that we got to do this, especially talking about this book that I know you're such a fan of. Me too. I mean, I feel like I followed you long before I even had my page. So this is really like full circle for me. But no, this is really cool. And I was so excited when you reached out because I'm not a huge reader. Like I'll totally admit that's not how I like to consume my content. I really prefer listening and like watching videos. And so I struggle sometimes to read books, especially in the sustainability space, because let's be honest, sometimes they get a little dry. And consumed was so easy to read like I could read it before bed and was so engaged and felt like I was learning so much but it was also like really entertaining so yeah so I was super excited to hear that you wanted to chat about it I feel the same way I feel like this book was so easy to read I admittedly I am a reader I really enjoy reading but you're right about sustainability books they can get dry and this book felt like this is going to sound like such a silly thing to say because it's a book but it sounded like one extended essay like there was a very clear thesis throughout the whole book that allowed me to read it full disclosure I read this in one sitting on an airplane I ate this book up I could not put it down I could not stop because it was so continuous like it just made so much sense in the way that it was organized and all of the thoughts really built on each other so I really enjoyed it because at the end I felt like I had read a thesis like I got a full concept a full idea and it was just very complete a hundred percent and it's something that I could easily recommend to any of my friends even if they're not super interested in sustainability and I think they would find it really interesting which I think is so key in a a book like that because that's how you get this message of sustainability out there and get people talking about it yeah I agree I think especially when we talk about sustainable fashion There is so much repeat content out there. There is so much around moving away from fast fashion and the ethical issues around it. And that's all really important. But I felt like this book talking about sustainable fashion through this lens of capitalism and colonialism and talking about these much bigger problems in our society gave it a whole new weight in my head. Absolutely. I think it got much deeper. I had a lot of self-reflection in this book, especially the part where Aja was talking about, you know, what is really too poor to afford sustainable fashion. And I think there absolutely is a sect of society that cannot afford it. It's very exclusionary, but there's also this sect, which I'm very much included in, of privileged white women 
who just think that they can't afford it because they can't afford to buy 20 sustainable pieces a month, but they can afford to buy 20 fast fashion pieces a month. You know, and that was a lot of self-reflection for me of realizing, and I already knew this, but, you know, it takes steps and years to kind of come to terms with it and take action on it. And I feel like Aja, she wrote it in a way that I was just like, it clicked right away. And I was like, this was perfectly explained. And I think anyone who reads this could grasp that like very quickly. I agree. I had a similar self-reflection. I've heard Aja speak before about this concept of scapegoating poor people. And actually, if anyone's listening and wants to like hear her talk about it, she was on my show two years ago and we talked about this pretty intensely. We have a very false idea as regular American consumers, as regular white women in a very privileged world of what it means to be truly poor and the difference between being poor and being broke. And that I think is one of the most interesting things about what she advocates for, because you're totally right. It's not that you need to buy 20 sustainable pieces. It's that you need to think a little bit deeper about why you feel drawn to fast fashion brands Mm -hmm. and this justification that fast fashion influencers have around, well, I'm making this uh, more accessible or more affordable or not everyone can afford sustainable fashion. It's like, yes, but you're not buying 20 pieces from Shein because you can't afford regular fashion. That's not actually the cause. And you think that you're providing a solution to something that you're not actually providing a solution for. And so really breaking up why we spend the money the way that we do and why we think about saving quote unquote money on fashion in the way that we do, how we justify that kind of monetary exchange. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned influencers and I feel like this is a conversation that's come up a lot more recently within our space is the role of the influencer in the sustainability space. And influencers aren't just people, they're businesses. You know, if if you're taking gifted product, if you're taking money from a business to market a product, you're a business and you're making money from it. And when the fast fashion influencers go out and say, you know, we're providing like this affordable inspiration, well, there's so many other ways you can provide affordable inspiration. You can be wearing the same thing over and over again and showing different ways to style it. You can be showing secondhand outfits. Like there are other affordable ways to do it. And I think I don't even blame the fast fashion influencers for having this mindset. Like I'm not angry at them for doing it. I'm angry at the industry that it's become something entirely different over the past decade where we now feel like we're not good enough. And Aja says, I think that's the last line of the book. Like you are good enough as you are or something like that. Like we're taught to believe by the fashion industry that we're not good enough without these clothes. And I like, we're brainwashed. People are brainwashed. I don't blame anybody who is buying fast fashion because I genuinely believe it's not their fault. Once you realize that it's a problem, then it kind of becomes your fault if you still choose to do it. But in the grand scheme of things, if you're not educated on it and you don't understand it, like that's why we need to educate people. <laughs> right. And I feel like what you mentioned about not necessarily being angry at influencers, but being angry at an industry is important because Aja makes a lot of discussions around colonialism. And I think when we pair that with something like fashion, when you take not just influencers, but you think regular consumers, 
she has a lot of great discussions about why people feel pressured to buy or how people are influenced to buy by marketing schemes. And I loved her conversation around Black Friday. I thought that was so interesting because Black Friday is something that I felt like had kind of fallen apart. Like people do not shop on Black Friday the way that they did 10 years ago. No one's leaving Thanksgiving dinner to like stand outside of a Best Buy anymore. (laughs) But I mean, maybe they are, but I don't, I don't see that the same way that it was 10 years ago. But she talks about like why we feel pressured to buy when things are on sale and you think that you're getting a deal. And if people can't afford something, why do you believe people to be broke? It's this system that we're living in. It's because of uh, them not working hard enough or it's because in other countries there are dictators and there are, and she really got into like all of these very false ideas that we've been fed that actually have nothing to do with why people are oppressed, why people don't have money. And then people who do have some disposable income, why they're pressured to go back and feed into the system, buying stuff that they literally do not need, like giant TVs on Black Friday. And the way that she framed all of those conversations around the standing in line at Best Buy on Thanksgiving evening, I thought was fascinating. And really that clicked a lot for me. Yeah. I mean, I think she even mentioned there, I'm not sure if it was in the Black Friday portion or not, but there's this saying always that the system is broken. And she was like, no, the system is working exactly as it was intended to. We just need to change it. We need a different system because the system was made to get people to feel like they need to buy all of these things, to then buy all these things, to then discard them when they don't need them anymore, to buy more things that they don't need. And then those things go straight back to the country's where they were made, where people are being exploited, where the resources are being exploited. And we're saying, hey, you made this stuff for us. We don't want it anymore. You can have it back and figure out what to do with it. Um, you know, it's not a favor. It's, it's not a favor. They are figuring out what to do with our trash, basically. And that's not okay. I have two things that I really want to share. I have one line that I highlighted that I really, really resonated with. Demand is essentially an artificial creation. Everything is essentially valueless if it's in the wrong place at the wrong time. That really hit for me. The things that I consider valuable or the things that I perceive as valuable in the fashion world are totally made up. The concept of, I love to think of the concept of like an it bag, a designer bag that I feel like everyone has except for me. And Mm -hmm. I don't buy a lot of designer items, so I'm not like particularly pressured to buy an it bag. But why is that so coveted? Why is that so hyped and like put online to display as wealthy? I think that's really interesting when I think about value and like trends, especially in ultra expensive fashion items. Mm -hmm. And then, sorry to like totally switch gears, but what you mentioned about all of our trash getting sent to other countries, there's also this white savior complex that we have in the fashion industry where if you don't want something anymore, you can give it to a goodwill. You could give it to a charity shop and only something like 10 or 15% of things at secondhand stores is actually purchased, which I've heard that stat before, but putting it in this context really, really hit me. And then thinking about all of the stuff that then gets sent overseas and put into these giant markets. And they're still really low quality items because they're fast fashion to begin with. So you actually are not helping nearly as much as you think you are, if at all, because the product was never good in the first place. So if you don't want it, why do you assume that someone else wants it? Right. And I think that's a mentality, especially in 
the global north and you know America specifically that you know we think of oh we're giving our clothes away to the homeless and we think of just the homeless in our country and we again we think we're doing this great favor but they're going to these charity shops and you know whether you're going in there as somebody with plenty of money to thrift or you're going in there as somebody who really needs to shop there because that's what you can afford we're taking the best stuff from there we're skimming the best stuff <laughs> and the rest is going like you said to those other countries and we we don't think of that as often i think when we're you know putting those clothes in the bin to go to goodwill and i think that needs more visibility it really is out of sight out of mind i mean i knew nothing about it until i started being more involved in this space so like why would anybody else who's you know just going along their regular lives think about that they wouldn't i was looking for a quote around this global secondhand industry and she also frames this in a quote or an interview she has with someone and I can't go back and find the name of the person right now but the piece that I highlighted that I loved so much clearly I'm someone who loves to deface my books sorry about that we are now living through a time when the power of capital embodied in these multinational companies is all powerful and they definitely dictate the conditions in the developing countries I think that's really interesting because then you pair that again, this conversation that fast fashion is moving to all of these countries. Fast fashion is what's getting resold and kind of downcycled. The reason that we have all of these problems is corporate greed. The reason that there are entire secondhand, quote unquote, markets, resale spaces in countries like India, where they could use higher quality things, but they're stuck with our Shein hand-me-downs is because those fast fashion companies created that demand and created that situation. Y'all know how picky I can be when it comes to beauty products and skincare. I really like to do my research before buying from a brand, making sure that their ingredients are truly clean and simple, and making sure that their products actually work. It can be unfortunately really hard to find sometimes. Osea has been making clean and effective skincare products for over 25 years. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers. They're known for creating amazing body products like their famous body oil. And let me tell you about this body oil. There is nothing more luxurious to add into your routine than a body oil. And the famous body oil from Osea, I feel like absorbs so well into my skin. I really don't like when a body oil is just sitting on top, really slick, leaving me a little sticky and slimy. That is not the case. This body oil is truly luxurious, glowy. It leaves you soft and nourished, and you just know you're doing something really good for your body when you're putting this on. Since 1996, Osea has been creating clean, vegan, and cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet, and they've done it again. They just released a body butter, and you do not want to sleep on this product. It is proven to moisturize skin for up to 72 hours. I actually keep a little travel size of this body butter by my bed and use it as a hand cream at night because it is just so nice. Its rich texture feels so good, transforms crepey skin without being sticky. It makes your skin look so moisturized and healthy and a little really goes a long way. And I feel like I can really see a difference, not just in my hands, but in tandem with the body oil on my legs, on my arms. I feel like my skin is being really well taken care of with quality products. And I feel like I'm really practicing good skincare for my entire body. 
if this sounds like you, if it sounds like something you need, I really recommend you try out these two products in particular for yourself. You can find your new favorite skincare favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for EcoChic listeners. Get 10% off your first order with promo code EcoChic at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You're going to want it all. Go to oseamalibu.com, use code ECOCHIC. I normally hate when people say that they're so busy and just don't have time for things because at the end of the day, all of us are busy. We are all consumed with work and family and so many other things in our day-to-day life. And at the end of what feels like an endless day, the last thing I want to do is cook dinner. But when your fridge is empty, that urge to order in and skip the cooking happens all too often. But thanks to Daily Harvest, I don't have that takeout temptation anymore. Daily Harvest helps keep my freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to my door and are delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest has delicious options for any time of day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and dessert. Everything is always on hand in your freezer, ready to enjoy when you need it. Personally, Daily Harvest has come really in handy around lunchtime. I work from home, so it's really easy to work through my lunch hour. So I especially love Daily Harvest options like the tomato and basil flatbread. It's in my freezer. I can throw it in, and I know I'm getting healthy, organic, delicious food without a crazy amount of prep. With Daily Harvest, I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. They create food that's both good for my health and the health of the planet. By supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of our soil and delivering food in recyclable and compostable packaging, Daily Harvest does the work, so all you have to do is eat. Their newest addition, which I am really excited about, I've really enjoyed them, I think y'all will enjoy them, is their delicious Harvest Bakes for those moments that you're looking for homemade food without any of the work. They're ready-to-bake, veg-packed, delicious dishes, sizzling with gourmet flavors that are just big enough to share. You just won't want to. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash ecochic to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash ecochic for up to $40 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash ecochic. That to me was absolutely crazy because normally when you hear these things that it's like, we have poor conditions in in this country, or there are poor factory conditions in this particular country or from this particular brand, you do not put it full cycle like that. You do not think these are countries that are forced to produce these low quality clothes that are essentially then forced to consume these clothes once the rest of the world is done with them. That full cycle moment for me was a little mind-blowing. Same. I agree 100%. It was like, this realization that these giant companies created the problem and now they claim to be fixing the problem by donating things or recycling your clothes, which still a lot of those end up in those markets. And it's, I mean, it's like if somebody came and stole your phone and then try to sell it back to you for 50 bucks after they like stepped on it. Like, be like, well, at least you have something. And you're like, well, no, like I don't really. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you have any strong feelings? Not to put you on the spot. Do you have any strong feelings about these resale frameworks that companies like H&M are now introducing? 
I'm, I'm so conflicted on them and I actually I'm planning to do like a blog post and a more in-depth look into some of these because um, a lot of different companies offer them. You have the H&Ms of the world and you have, you know, more sustainable companies like Four Days that offers, you know, the same sort of thing. And it's like, how do they differ? You know, are they, are they really doing something good from some of the very like top level, high level research I've done? Like I said, a lot of these posts still end up going to those markets. They're not ending up getting actually recycled. And I think the issue with the fast fashion brands who do them is they're not using them as a tactic to actually like help the planet. They're using it as a tactic to get you to buy more things because they're offering a discount or even if they're not offering a discount in exchange, like you walk in there and you feel good about where you're donating your clothes and you don't feel as bad about buying more. So I uh, like from a mentality and a marketing standpoint, I don't love it because I don't think it's getting at the core issue, even though, again, from a company like Four Days or some of the other sustainable companies that do that, it's certainly probably coming from a more genuine place. But I think people misconstrue it when they see it at places like H&M. Yeah, I think you're right. I think of it a lot like recycling or the myth of recycling. People recycle because it makes them feel good. But especially in America, we don't have comprehensive recycling policy. Most of the stuff that we send to quote unquote recycling actually ends up in a landfill. And it's one of these things that you buy into because it makes you feel good. And so I think for me, also from just like a high level research perspective, those buyback programs are problematic when they're tied to profit. And I think that also really supports what Aja Barber is saying in this book. We are fed these marketing tactics. People are becoming more and more aware of the problems of fast fashion, but unless we are truly giving people information and not just talking like stop fast fashion and and ending the conversation there, we will never get to a point where people are truly skeptical of these buyback programs on a large scale. Yeah. And I mean, as far as fast fashion companies go, I think it's going to be really difficult for them to ever be really, truly sustainable. I mean, they can put up as much as they want on their sustainability, corporate social responsibility pages. They're not going to do anything that's going to hurt their bottom line in terms of money. And what they really need to be doing is making less stuff and encouraging people to buy less, which is the opposite of what makes the money. So unless they're going to completely turn their business model on its head, I mean, I like, I just always say support small if you can, because to me, that's the biggest thing is, is the company producing an absorbent amount of clothes or are they producing, you know, like a hundred styles, like 50 styles, like that's never going to be as impactful as H&M, even if H&M says all of the sustainability crap. No, you're totally right. And I think something that we've danced around a little bit that Aja Barber pointed out at some point in the book, and I know that she advocates for a lot just on her own platforms, is this concept that fast fashion brands do make incredible amounts of money. We just talked about how they are forces in a lot of countries, how they consume clothing and how countries consume, frankly, trash. There's so much money in these giant companies I think it's hard for us as consumers to really conceptualize. Like they always say, you have no concept of what a billion dollars even looks like. And these are like multi-billion dollar companies that we are really having a hard time understanding their influence and their power. And all of that money that is being consumed, who is it going towards? It's the people on the top. 
And if they were to, let's say H&M does nothing to change the poor quality of their clothing, but they were to increase wages in their factories, that would actually make a huge difference in the lives of a lot of people. And the concept that there is so much money in a system that recognizes its own power, that recognizes its own influence, and is actively choosing not to make positive change in a lot of the countries that they are really tearing apart is really hard. It's heartbreaking, but it's like really hard to conceptualize that someone could be that frankly like evil. That it's just like it's really gross to think about how much money is in this system that is being stolen from people. 100%. I wrote down this line from the book on page 117, uh increasing the price of a garment by 1% have to pay the workers who made it a living wage. Like that's such a small amount. Yeah, I highlighted that too. That <laughs> really drove me crazy. Could like, you imagine? How can you, I, I mean, how do you, I cannot conceptualize how do you get to the point where you are at the top of this multi-billion dollar business and you can't be like, hmm, maybe I'll take like a million dollar pay cut and just like give that to the people that need it. <laughs> give that to the people who work for this company who make it possible. Like you can live without it. Like I think about this stuff all the time. Sometimes now that I've read this book, I'm like, I'm so hyper concerned about where my money is going. And I've always kind of been this way because once you get into the sustainability space, you become this ultra conscious consumer to the point where it's almost debilitating. I cannot make a purchase unless I've thought about it for 60 days. Like I, I go nuts and I drive myself nuts. And I know that. And I say it all the time. Like there's a point where conscious consumption needs to stop where I have to say, like, I believe enough in this brand. I recognize that their factory is B Corp certified. And like, that's good enough for me. There has to be a point where I say like, it's okay for me to spend my money on this. But when you are just a passerby consumer and you're not going deep into these brand sustainability reports, these corporate, uh, corporate reporting mechanisms that are like sometimes available online. A lot of companies have them. It's 2022. People are asking for them. If you're not doing that, And you have truly no concept of where your money is going. And you're just like, I know fast fashion is bad, but like, it's what I can afford right now. And you're buying into that kind of like influencer mindset we shared earlier. Like, this is a crazy system that you don't even realize you're participating in. It's, it reminds me a lot of also like the conversation around divesting in banks and people Mm -hmm. think that their money is like sitting somewhere and earning them interest. And actually these banks are funding fossil fuel projects and pipelines and all of these really awful things that you probably don't agree with anyway you're doing the same thing with fast fashion, like buying into a fast fashion brand and saying like, I know it's not that great, but it's what I can afford right now. You're doing the same thing. Like you're buying into the cycle without even realizing. And I feel like that's really sad. Like it places blame on the consumer, but it's not actually about the consumer at all. It's about these companies and it's about like this corporate multinational greed. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, it's so sad. Like I, again, I'm, I get angry at the corporations and I, I feel like every sustainability influencer content creator like has to reiterate that all the time because it can come off as, you know, we're mad at you for buying fast fashion and like we're not, you know, and I originally went to school to work in fashion. That's like what I wanted to do. And the stuff that we were learning, I felt like we were tricking consumers into buying things that they don't need because that's 
literally what you're doing. That's what people at these companies are trained to do. You learn about planned obsolescence. I mean, we did case studies on Zara and H&M, not in a way that they were bad, but in a way that, oh my God, they built this model that built so much money. How do they do that? How can you replicate it? And it wasn't talked about in the way that it is now. And granted, that was like six, seven years ago at this point. So hopefully the conversation has changed a little bit uh, in those classes, but it's all a trick. We're just, they're tricking you into thinking you need these things, into thinking that you're doing good by buying these things that are quote unquote sustainable. And that makes me so annoyed because, you know, you watch people trying to do their best with every you know good intention they're like well I, I you know I have my mom or like my friends will tell me these things all the time like I bought this sustainable thing and they are so proud of it and in the back of my head I'm like uh, it's like not actually that good but I just like don't even I don't want to break your spirit because I want you to keep trying wait I feel the same way with so many people in my life like I think that my favorite example, she's going to listen to this and she's going to be like, Laura, I can't believe you shared that. My mom. My mom is a wonderful, very pure intentioned woman. And she loves this sustainability thing that I have going on. And I love that about my mom. Like I could not imagine being more supported by her, but in the kind of bridge to go from regular consumer to like ultra supportive of your environmentalist daughter, There are certain purchases that we discuss every once in a while that are really sad for me to like break the news to sometimes kind of like I'm thinking specifically of vegan leather Mm -hmm. and I personally have mixed feelings about vegan leather and that's like a whole other rabbit hole we can go down. But vegan leather for the most part, if you're buying it from a regular store, if you're not buying it from some sort of like ultra designer vegan leather brand, if you're buying it like from a TJ Maxx or something, that's plastic. So that's unfortunate. But the problem is not so much that you're buying a plastic bag. It's that you're buying it because you think you're doing the right thing. And you're buying it because you think you're opting for a vegan option. But that's not necessarily any better than buying like a clear, proper plastic bag. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting like marketing tactic that the bridge consumer kind of falls under sometimes. And then also on this concept of leather, sometimes the conversation is like, oh, well, you can't wear that. It's leather it's an animal product or whatever but it's like it's secondhand I'm like buying it from a well-respected source or like leather is one that I am very kind of okay with buying secondhand Mm -hmm. I I don't buy any new leather because I'm really like not buying that much new stuff anyway but when it's something that's well-loved well-worn and I like make those justifications then sometimes not necessarily my mom but like other people in my life will be like oh but are you are you okay with that like what if someone asks you about it I'm like well it's fine like, this is just the way that I live my life. Yeah. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, you're not going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I think that's a really weird standard that people who are interested in environmentalism are held to, that, like, we have to boycott plastic forever or something. Like, it's everywhere. How are we supposed to do that? Like, we're, we're, it's it's a bigger picture. It's, you know, you, you can't do everything all at once. You can't quit fast fashion all at once. You can't avoid all plastic in the world. It's just part of the society we live in, but there's plenty of steps you can take to minimize your consumption of that stuff, minimize your footprint. And I think that's what people need to focus on. Yeah. You don't need clothes. You don't, I mean, you need clothes, but like you don't need (laughs) tons of clothes to like be a good enough person. It's just what you're wearing should be the least interesting thing about you. 
how you're treating people, what you're doing, your ideas, those are the most important things. And if you can really shift your mindset to think about it that way, then your consumption of clothing, I think you'll start to realize begins to go down as you just start to focus less on it. I like that. That's a very positive note to end off our conversation. Morgan, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. I love chatting with you and please come back anytime. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm hanging out with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Eco Chic with Morgan Cook discussing Consumed by Aja Barber. Like I said, our earlier conversation with Aja Barber will be in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that. It was a really, really good one. If you haven't heard it before, I gotta say so myself. And if you enjoyed this episode, like I said, write and review the show, share it in your group chat, send it to your mom, send it to your best friend. Thank you so, so much for hanging out today. I have had a great time on this episode, but it's always so nice to have you here. I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you have a really fabulous weekend and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.